Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. And today we're going to be taking a look at Joe Rogan and Michael Shermer as they talk about the nature of human freedom and the Bible. I mean, okay, close. if you're talking to someone who's a religious person who believes in the Bible Here and you throw that around, one of the first things that goes, well, oh, that's the Old Testament. Right. Well, okay. So the Old Testament is not valid. Right. The New Testament, the one that was written by Constantine and a group of bishops, what? where they got <laughs> down, they, th they wrote it out, what, 500 years after Jesus died? That what? one's what? legit? <laughs> I see your that point, one's right. legit. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Now, for those that may not know, Joe Rogan is a well-known guy in the world of UFC and MMA fighting. He is a commenter on uh, most of the UFC fights, at least the really big ones. And he was, for a while, the host of the uh, famously popular Fear Factor in the early to mid-2000s. And so uh, you probably have seen Joe Rogan, whether you knew it or not, but he's also one of the most well-known podcasters and YouTubers on the planet. Uh, Michael Shermer is an outspoken skeptic who has debated many of our Christian apologists. And so we're going to take a look at what both of them have to say. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, by the way, I should say as we begin, this at this moment as we begin here, they're not talking yet about God or theism or atheism or anything like that. They're just talking about human freedom. But there's still some things that we need to point out and look at as we go. So with that, let's jump right into their comments simply by the not, not that we're not smart enough that just the limitations of how we perceive the world here we go uh and it's just uh, you know so there i i like to look at uh like this there was a big um survey of professional philosophers uh done about three years ago about 2600 phd either professors or or doctoral students in philosophy what is your position on and there's like 25 different debates in philosophy. And like free will determinism, it was roughly equally split between determinists and compatibilists. Like Dan Dennett is a compatibilist, Sam Harris is a determinist, and a small percentage of uh, libertarian free will. What are the compatibilists? Compatibilists. Okay, we're going to get into what is a compatibilist here in just a few moments, but if you're new to the free will debates, um, the free uh, you can roughly divide free will into a couple of different options here. You've got determinism, which says no free will of any kind actually exists. You experience your choices as though you're making real free decisions. You think that you are. You have the appearance of that, but you're not actually making real free choices in the sense that you couldn't have done other than whatever you ended up doing, and all of your actions, though they feel free to you, are determined by something external to you. Uh, ultimately, everything that happens, all the choices that humans seem to make are a part of what amounts to an extremely long train of dominoes that stretches back to the beginning of the universe, uh, up to the uh, your past life experiences, the formation of your neural structure, the firing of neurons in your brains, and the choices, what we call choices, that you make. So that while you feel like you're making real free choices, all is determined and could not, and this is so important, could not have been otherwise. Now, whenever you are, if you're new to this, you might think, well, now hold on a second. Hunter here might be just kind of massaging the terminology. He's He may be giving a straw man. No, I'm not. Um, if you want to hear a determinist talk about this at great length, then go check out my response video. I'll link it in the notes to uh, Cosmic Skeptic Rationality Rules and Matt Dillahunty, where they all got together and they had a little bit of an in-house debate among atheists about this. Uh, trust me, if determinism is true, everything that you experience as a choice could not have been otherwise, could not have been otherwise. You had to do whatever you ended up doing. And though you feel like you're making choices, you're actually not. 
On the other end of the spectrum, we have, and there's not really a spectrum, what is known as libertarian freedom. Libertarian freedom says that you really are making real choices. You could have done other than whatever you ended up doing, or at the very least, uh, the things that you choose to do are not determined by something external to you. Uh, and so for that, whether that be uh, God or whether that be uh, the past history of the universe and, and nature, okay? So when you make a choice, it's a real choice. It really is a choice. And uh, so that's, that's libertarian freedom. Now, libertarian freedom, uh, freedom uh, uh, advocates like myself, that's the position I hold, and most religious people and most Christians hold, uh, though not all, is, uh, says that there, there's still, you still may have influences. There are still things that influence you. So if I see a plate of cookies, I am still strongly influenced by my physiology and my olfactory sensors and everything else. I'm, I'm impacted and influenced toward the cookies. That's absolutely true. But I still can choose among my influences and make a real genuine decision uh, in the midst of that, okay? That's libertarian freedom. Now, what they're going to talk about here in a moment, and he, you'll notice he said, well, Daniel Dennett's a compatibilist. Sam Harris is a determinist. Sam Harris and Daniel Dennett agree on the, the brass tacks of what's going on. Compatibilists are determinists. Compatibilists, compatibilism does not mean that determinism and libertarian freedom, the, the two options I just mentioned, are somehow compatible with each other. What they mean, if they mean anything at all, is that um, the terminology of freedom... <laughs> Your experience of freedom is compatible with determinism. The, the sense that you have freedom is compatible with determinism. But uh, compatibilists who understand compatibilism will never say that determinism is false. They affirm determinism, that things cannot have been otherwise. Whatever happens, including their choices, could not have been otherwise. What the compatibilist wants to emphasize is that you feel like you're making real choices, um, and so we're going to call that freedom. So you get to do whatever you want. And what more do you want than the freedom to do whatever you want? Well, if you're doing what you want, that's what people really care about. That's the, the thing that, uh, that, that matter. It seems to matter to people the most. And so uh, we call that your freedom. So we say you freely chose this or that, but we all kind of know under the table you didn't really freely choose it. But since you experienced it that way, we call that your free will. Um, and so that's compatibilism, but compatibilism is determinism. See, compat the compatibilist will say you do whatever you want, but you can't determine, you can't choose for yourself what you want. So you're bound by your nature. You're bound by your physiology to do whatever thing you end up doing. So really you still just have two options. You have determinism that free will doesn't exist though. You feel like it does and libertarian freedom. You feel like it does because it actually does exist. So that's the spread. Now I want to say something about what he just mentioned. He said that there was some research done that, uh, looked a bunch of philosophers and that most of these philosophers affirmed determinism or compatibilism. I actually have the paper to which he's referring in front of me because I'm very concerned about free will. I like to take a look at free will. And uh, the two contemporary philosophers, David Chalmers and David Burgett, decided to find out where their colleagues stood on 30 different philosophical issues by constructing a rigorous survey. The findings were reported in a paper called What Do Philosophers Believe? That ended up accounting for the views of over 3,000 professors, graduate students, and independent thinkers. Most of the respondents were affiliated with prestigious philosophy departments in the English-speaking world, though several continental European departments are also 
they're represented. Now, when it comes to free will, like he said, they covered a lot of different things that are going on in the world of philosophy. But on the issue of free will, 59.1% were compatibilists. Remember, compatibilists are those people that believe determinism is true. No free will actually exists, but they use the language of freedom because you experience uh, things as though they are free. So that's compatibilism. 12.2% uh, said, no, 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 no free will actually exists. And then, then other is 14.9%. But libertarianism, the view that I said, you, you feel like you're free and you actually are free. You really are making free choices. Nothing external to you determines your actions. And you could have done otherwise, at least in most cases. 13.7% affirmed libertarian freedom. Now, that means that about one in seven of these professional philosophers and graduate students, uh, about one in seven believe in libertarian freedom. Now, by the way, that is a substantial amount. That's a significant amount. It's not the majority, it's a minority, but that's a significant amount, uh, the 13.7%. But here's what I want you to notice about this. So you might say, well, okay, well then I guess, you know, if we're going to go with the, with the people who know the most about this, I guess on balance, we're going to have to say that determinism is true because most affirm compatibilism or determinism and compatibilism is determinism. So determinism. Uh, here's the problem. 72.8% of those studied were atheists and 49.8% were naturalists. Here's what that means. That means that if you take a, a poll of 72.8% atheist people who are philosophers, then the majority of them, though not all of them, are going to end up affirming some kind of determinism. Okay. Well, we should expect that. In fact, let me tell you something. I said in, uh, in my argument, my free will argument, the premise one is if God does not exist, then libertarian freedom does not exist. I'm happy to grant that. Okay. So it's not surprising to me that if you ask a bunch of atheists, then they say, yeah, determinism is the case. In fact, that serves as support for my premise one in my free will argument, that if God does not exist, then libertarian freedom does not exist. I think that works together hand in glove. It's what I expected. In fact, part of this, this research is part of what I used to support premise one, at least in preparing that argument, though it didn't come up in debate. So uh, this is what we would expect. Now, uh, what, what about what the general public uh, thinks about this? I mean, maybe, maybe the general public would also affirm what these atheist philosophers overwhelmingly affirm. Maybe only about 13% or 12.2%, oh, let's see, what is it? 13.7% of the general population will also agree with libertarian freedom. 137 was what uh, philosoph the number of philosophers and graduate students that think that libertarian freedom is the case, which again is still substantial, even though it's in the minority. Well, what do most people think about libertarian freedom? Well, Scientific America had an article in 2015 called Why We Have Free Will. Um, and we have the results from that. There were 4,672 responses between December 20th through January 14th. Now, understand something. Scientific America, I want you to notice this. Scientific America, uh, there are probably a lot of theists, a lot of Christians, a lot of Muslims, a lot of religious people who read Scientific America. But if atheists and skeptics want to hug science to themselves, then perhaps you would assume that uh, the majority of the readers, or at least a good chunk of the readers of something called Scientific America, would be, uh, you know, skeptically inclined or atheist individuals. So I'm actually being very fair, I think, in this. And in that study, uh, what they found was that um, out of that 4,672, uh, the breakdown was 59% endorsed the idea that free will exists and 41% voted nay. So 59% of this group said that libertarian freedom exists. Now you might say, okay, well, that's the majority, but that's not a huge majority. Well, yeah, that's the readership of Scientific America. So what we have there is 59%, the majority of the readers of Scientific America, uh, a somewhat strong majority, 59%, 
uh, would would agree that libertarian freedom exists. If you went out into the larger general public uh, that doesn't even read Scientific America, we, we would, we would ex expect to see, and most people kind of don't really argue against the idea, that most people would largely fall into the libertarian camp. So, so yeah, most of your atheist philosophers are determinists. Okay. Most of the general public believe in libertarian freedom. Okay. So what, what, what does that mean? That means that what we expected would be the case all along is the case that if you're, uh, if you're an atheist, you're probably going to be a determinist. And if you're not an atheist, you're probably going to be, um, because atheism isn't a minority. So when we look at the general public, if you're not an atheist, you're probably going to believe in something like libertarian freedom. It's as simple as that. And it confirms my argument's first premise that if God does not exist, then libertarian freedom exists. Um, premise two of that argument is libertarian freedom does exist. And I think it's a strong argument because the majority of people, as I've just demonstrated to you, believe in libertarian freedom. And what I'm arguing is if you believe in libertarian freedom, you should believe in God because if God does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist, which seems very sympathetic to what we get from the, uh, the research here, uh, the survey of the philosophers, because most of them don't believe in God, that God exists. And, and a big chunk of them, the majority of them, don't believe that libertarian freedom exists. So nothing really surprising here. What is surprising to me, and you atheists can just uh, take a nap for a moment as I say this to Christians, there are Christian determinists. Those people are called Calvinists. And I, they're my brothers, they're my sisters. I, I love my Calvinist friends. I have had debates with them. You can get that at braxonhunter.com slash debates. But there's at least a couple of uh, Christians who I know who are Calvinists, that is determinist Christians, who uh, will rely on that same survey that Shermer is bringing up to say, look, you should believe in determinism because uh, now they'll say the Bible teaches it, which I'm happy to debate with them. But they'll say, uh, after all, the majority of philosophers believe in determinism. Well, hold on a second. The majority of philosophers in that study don't believe in libertarian freedom. They believe in determinism. That's true. But if you're a Christian, why would you point to a study that has 72.8% atheist uh, sa uh, sample there. Why would why would you point? How does that help you to point to from a Christian perspective, making a case to other Christians that Christian determinism is true? Why would you point to uh, Christian? Or why would you point to atheist philosophers largely to make the point that largely atheist philosophers don't believe in uh, libertarian freedom? That doesn't help you at all in the Christian sense. I mean, no Christian argues that morality is subjective. At least not that I've met. They argue that it is objective. But let's imagine we had a Christian constituency that argued somehow that morality was subjective. And they said, look, the majority of atheist philosophers agree that morality is subjective. I don't know if that's true, but I'm just saying. If they pointed to that, you'd say, well, of course they do. They're atheists. They have a completely different worldview than we have. Uh, we shouldn't rely on them for to make a theological point. And in the same way, you shouldn't rely on atheist determinists to make a theological point about the nature of reality. These are atheists, after all, and we disagree with them fundamentally. So I uh, just wanted to point that out. But anyway, so far what we have is Shermer presents data that atheists tend to be determinists. Yay, we expected that. That supports my own argument. So let's go on and hear what else they have to say. Uh, uh, accept the, the premise that the universe is determined, governed by laws of nature and so on, but that um, we make free choices within the causal net of the universe. That is, I'm making choices, like I chose to come out here, uh, and that was a choice. Uh, yes, the universe is determined, but my behavior, my actions, my volitional choices within the net, the causal net, is part of it. Uh, and in any case, you can't know all the variables, so it feels like you're making free choices. So 
you are in essence making free choices because okay he's describing compatibilism here right now remember he said that you've got someone like sam harris uh who is just a determinist and says no no no, no stop with this compatibilism stuff and then you've got daniel dennett on the other side and the two of them have had a back and forth saying well we can use the language of freedom because we feel like we're making choices so uh we make what seem like choices all the time that that somewhat impact what happens in our lives and even though all those things are determined it's compatibilism it, it's it, we can it feels free so even just said it feels like you're free so let's just call that freedom right let's keep going because it feels free even if because you don't know all the determining factors so the compatibilist is something like that there's just different versions of it mm -hmm. dan, dan dennett makes a good argument degrees of freedom we have this idea of degrees of freedom in engineering certain systems are more complex or less complex and certain systems have more variation than others so if you think of degrees in freedom like an insect has very few degrees of freedom it's almost entirely instinctively driven small number of neurons and so on uh maybe a rat has more degrees of freedom than an insect a dog more than a rat a primate more than a dog us more than the other primates just how many choices how many variations so you can come up here you go this way this way this way this way this way with the human it's not clear which way they're going to go with the rat it's more predictable they'll take this um this maze or that maze because the food is over there or something like that so as dennett argues that that we're freer than you know the, the mouse or the dog we have more choices and even within human populations the law has already accommodated this so you know first degree murder is different than second degree murder or, or you know what is the difference it, it, to what extent you intended to kill the person you planned it out versus you were out of control you, you know you in flagrato you caught your partner in bed with somebody else you lost your temper bam Oh, okay, but you wouldn't normally do that. So we think, well, violent aggressiveness or drug addiction, alcohol addiction, the tumor on the brain, uh, you know, the famous case. Okay, we're, we're going to get to the case about the tumor on the brain he's going to go into in just a second, but I want to say something. Uh, so what he's saying is he's giving you kind of Daniel Dennett's perspective on this. And as we're going to find out, I think it's something like his own perspective. So uh, if he has a perspective on this. So um, what he's saying is, all right, take Daniel Dennett, for example. And uh, in terms of a published book, Daniel Dennett first came out with this in his book, Elbow Room. The the uh, I think it's called something like the, the Varieties of Free Will Worth Wanting. Uh, if that sounds familiar to you, Matt, Matt Dillahunty uh, references uh, Dennett all the time. He says he doesn't have heroes, but Dennett is clearly something like a hero to him. And uh, so he, uh, so Daniel Dennett argues in that book, uh, I read it twice, that insects, uh, I think he uses a wasp as an example in Elbow Room, it, it's, it's, it has what we would call sfectiousness. And what he means by that is uh, most of what it's doing is instinctual. As Shermer just said, it's there's very little thought process going into this. I mean, the the neural activity isn't even it's not even near the degree that in a rat or in a or and certainly not in us. And so there's not much going on. And so his range of options is very small. And so he's going to do whatever he's going to do. And so there's there aren't very many choices at play there. Uh, but when you get up into higher animals like a rat or uh, a primate and you go on up, you get more cognition, more uh, abilities, more range of actual viable choices to make. So you could say more freedom there. Now, now understand, this is coming from someone, Daniel Dennett, who doesn't believe in libertarian freedom. He believes in determinism. Whatever you end up doing, it could not have been otherwise. But he's conceptualizing it with these different types of animals and the range of capabilities that they have. So then he gets up to human beings. Well, at human beings. 
beings. We're at the top of the food chain in terms of this. And so we have all kinds of available options to us. We can think things through to a very deep level. We can really struggle over an idea. We have a much lower degree of sfectiousness. And so we make those choices accordingly. That's Dennett. And he says, so we have, it is reasonable to say and, and not disingenuous to say that we have much more freedom than the wasp has. Uh, we have much more freedom than the rat has because there are more options available to us. The problem with that is it's really just wordplay. I mean, it is true what he's saying about the neural capabilities of these various animals and uh, right on up to us. But here's the problem with it. If determinism is true, then there is only, here's what's the same about the wasp and the same about you as an individual, a thinking person, is that there was only ever one thing that wasp was ever going to do, namely that which he was determined to do. There was only one thing you were ever going to do in any particular case, and that is that which you were determined to do. So even if you have a range of options available to you and it feels like you're choosing A instead of C because A is what you really want, but you could have chosen C, the fact is you could not have chosen C. You had to choose A because that's what you were determined to do and it could not have been otherwise. So ultimately, whatever you want to say about whether we're as sfectious as a wasp, we are as determined as the wasp. And in that sense, we have the same level of freedom that the wasp has, namely, there isn't any. Whatever you do is what the universe, what you were determined to do, and it could not have been otherwise case of uh, the University of Texas uh, Bell Tower shooter, uh, Whitman, you know, he left that note, uh, you know, lately I've been feeling not normal and, you know, I'm feeling quite violent and uh, I'm going to do some bad sh shit today. So when I'm dead, do an autopsy. So he went out and killed his mother and then he went to the Bell Tower and killed 19 people or whatever it was. They did an autopsy. Sure enough, he's got a tumor. I think it was next to his hypothalamus. So we would, we would recognize, okay, that guy had fewer degrees of freedom than you and I do. Uh, it's not that we excuse it. We just say, okay, he had a tumor. You know, so that's the compatibilist argument. Now, Sam, someone like Sam or a determinist would say it's, it's, all, it's all tumors. You know, it's all determined. You're just using different causal vectors to describe the behavior. Some of them are more obvious than others. Right. So here's what here's this is fundamental. You you need to get this, especially if you're an atheist. You don't care what I have to say, but you want to understand the difference between Harris and Dennett on this. Uh, there's actually an interesting debate between rationality rules. Not really a debate. They call it one, but that rationality rules and Matt, Matt Dillahunty on rationality rules channel where they discuss determinism. And Matt Dillahunty is arguing that no, no, no. Like Dennett, he's arguing that compatibilism is is makes sense. You know, we feel like we're free, so we can speak as though we're free. And uh, rationality rules guy says, no, 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 you're not free. So why would you speak as though you're free? That's just, you know, that's misleading. Um, and so, uh, so, so this, this is interesting toward the end, Matt Dillon, he says something like, well, you've given me some stuff to think about, I have to say, you know, and then by the, the very next time that I'm aware of that Dillon Hunty spoke at any great length about freedom was his debate with me. And in that debate with me, Dillon Hunty actually, uh, said, I lean now more toward just calling it determinism instead of using the language of compatibilism. So there was a shift there, but, um, but notice what, what's going on here. He, he's saying, he's, he's saying that Sam Harris would say, okay, you got this guy with a tumor in his head. And because of that tumor, it's impacting his, his cognitive abilities, his thinking, his mood, everything about him. That tumor is an actual physical structure in his body that is causing him to 
to have a limited availability of options, right? And he, it seems like he may even be aware of this, okay? So it's a get, get an autopsy done. Okay, so then he does this horrible thing. And the idea is, well, we don't, we, in looking back, we may not hold him as morally culpable because we understand there was a limited range of options there. He was a bit more sexious, right? He has this limited ability uh, because of the tumor that's in his brain. Okay, fair enough. But what Sam Harris wants to say, and in my response video to Matt Dillahunty, Cosmic Skeptic and Rationality Rules, I pointed out that Cosmic Skeptic says the same thing. And, and I think that he's more consistent within his determinism because what he wants to say and what Sam Harris wants to say is, look, uh, you're saying that his options are limited because of that tumor, because that is a naturalistic object that is impacting what he's going to do. Well, guess what? That's true. But with any individual person, there are naturalistic processes, if determinism is true, that determine what he's going to end up doing. Uh, the fact that in this case it's a tumor, and in a case with someone who doesn't have a tumor, it's just their past life experiences or uh, some other purely naturalistic physical thing, it doesn't matter. These are just different elements that are in play. And in neither case does the person have any control ultimately over those elements because they're not free. So uh, stuff determines that person A who has a tumor is going to do something, and the tumor's part of that. Person B ends up doing something because stuff determined that he was going to do it. But just like I said with the wasp and you watching this video right now or listening to this podcast, the fact still remains that there was only one thing the wasp was ever going to do, and there's only one thing you were ever going to do in a given circumstance, whatever you were determined to do. There's only one thing the guy with the tumor in the bell tower is ever going to do. There's only one thing that you without a tumor, not in a bell tower, is ever going to do. And the fact that we can label separately the things that determine those things affects none the fact that you were determined if determinism is true. So what's the cash value of that? Here it is. The cash value of that is if you think that guy is less morally culpable because he had a tumor in his brain, then everyone is less morally culpable because we're all determined by something, if determinism is true, that we had no control over. Here's what that balances out to. Morality is moot on determinism. If determinism is true, morality is moot. And what I mean by that is it, it's, it's somewhat irrelevant because no one can control anything. Now, if that sounds cold and clinical to you, it's not my position, but if determinism is true, that's the state of affairs. Morality is just moot. Now, notice I'm not giving the argument that you're so familiar with from Christian apologists that if God does not exist, there's no objective morality. And if God does exist, there is objective morality. Yes, there are uh, atheists who will say morality is ultimately subjective or morality is objective. I'm not here to talk about that. What I'm here to say is whether you think it's objective or not, if uh, libertarian freedom does not exist if determinism is true and you have no control over any of your actions in any ultimate sense because there's only ever one thing that you're going to do, that which you're determined to do. Guess what? Whether you think morality is objective or not, it is a moot point because if you become a racial hater, if you become a person who guns down people at a gay nightclub and, 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 or if you become a, phila a philanthropist who builds wells for thirsty people in developing world countries, in any case, the fact is you were determined to do that. So you're not really blameworthy if you shoot up the gay nightclub, though I think you are. Understand, I think that is an immoral act to shoot up a nightclub, any nightclub, gay nightclub, straight nightclub, any nightclub. It's immoral. If you, I think it's moral to build wells for thirsty people in developing world countries. But if determinism is true, it's, it's, it's a moot point because whatever you're doing, you ended up doing because that's what you were determined to do and you could not have done otherwise. And if we could run some kind of a simulation that could take, it, uh, take into account every movement of every po mo uh, molecule 
or particle back to the beginning of the universe, we could have predicted what you were going to do. So there is no freedom if determinism is true, which means morality in any meaningful sense goes completely out the window. Now, where does that leave us? If you are a person who believes that uh, shooting up a nightclub is immoral, if you are a person who thinks that um, committing hate crimes based on race is immoral, if you are a person who thinks that helping people is moral, then guess what? You have to believe in libertarian freedom uh, because without it, it all just becomes moot. This should be, I frankly, I think this should be uh, obvious to you when you think through these things. If determinism is true, you couldn't, you could, you couldn't help it. So, what are atheists saying when they say that determinism is true? Ultimately, whether they realize it or not, they're saying that when the guy ends up uh, committing hate crimes against women or against gay people or against people based on race, they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. That's what you have to say. But if you think they could help it and all of the vitriol you are feeling and indignation you feel towards people that do that is if you really feel those things and it's meaningful, then guess what? Libertarian freedom exists because you're saying they didn't have to do that. They could have done otherwise. You see, that is very powerful. And here's the next step in it. If God does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist. But if libertarian freedom exists, then God exists. And if you think that meaningful morality is worth talking about because you think that the person who shoots up the gay nightclub could have helped it and didn't have to do that, then you believe in libertarian freedom. But if you believe in libertarian freedom, then I would argue God is the only explanation and certainly the best explanation for libertarian freedom because I agree with at least what it appears the data is suggesting that uh, these majority of atheist philosophers who reject libertarian freedom, uh, that's because they're atheists. That's because they're naturalists. That's because if you don't have God, you don't have a way to get to libertarian freedom. So the data seems to support and suggest what I'm saying. So if you think that morality is real in any meaningful sense, then friend, you should, you should reject determinism, accept libertarian freedom, and that places you in a position to believe in God. So uh, just some important stuff to think about. Let's move forward. So the best argument on that case uh, I know of is from a guy named Adrian Rain, who's a, a psychiatrist and neuroscientist, who was the first to scan the brains of uh, serial killers in prison. So he would take this portable fMRI brain scanner to these prisons. And these guys have nothing to do, so they're happy to participate as subjects. And he would scan their brains, and he found that they have very little um, uh, self-control which is associated with the prefrontal cortex, and their prefrontal cortexes were pretty quiet, pretty undeveloped, inactive. So you have all these impulses that bubble up, and there's no break. There's no governor on the system to keep it in check, whereas you and I would count to 10 or walk out of the room if we're getting heated up. Uh, They're more likely to just reach out and punch you if you say something you don't like, something like that, lack of self-control. So he argues that, um, that... If somebody has a tumor, it's obvious you can see it. But what if somebody just has the crappiest background you can imagine? You know, raised in a broken home, single mom, drug addictions, gang-related, inner city, crappy diets, dropped on their head, and so on. And he gives an example of this uh, young man named Dante Page, an African-American who was uh, convicted for raping and killing a woman. And he's on death row. uh, I think he got life in prison. In any case... um, you know, so he describes, spends pages in this book, The Anatomy of Violence, of this guy's background. And it's the worst background you, you could possibly imagine that surely has effects on his brain. So there's not a tumor. You can't scan it and go, look, there's a tumor. Okay, he's got a tumor. 
but he's had a background that would surely be different than the background you and I have had. And therefore, he had fewer choices in his actions than you and I would have. And so, you know, the law would deal with that differently. Uh, by the way, we should say fewer apparent choices. That's an important thing. Remember, there was only one thing the WASP was ever going to do, what it was determined to do. There's only one thing you were ever going to do, what you were determined to do. So the fact that you're less factious and it feels like you, you can see a range of options, it, that's that there's more of an apparent choice, but not actual choice, because there is no choice. If determinism is true, you're going to do what you're going to do, what you were determined to do. So the difference between an actual range of options and an apparent range of options is important. And, but see, someone like Dan, Dennett would say, well, that, those are degrees of freedom. He had fewer choices than the person that didn't have the awful background. So that's one of these, this is one of those things where it depends what you mean by these words, like degrees yeah. of freedom, volition, choice, actions versus just more of a physics, engineering, billiard table type of causal model. Well, it's a really complex question and subject. And Not really. Either determinism is true and no free will exists, or libertarian freedom is true and free will does exist. It's really not more complex than that. Where it becomes complex is when someone like Daniel Dennett or Michael Shermer here echoing Dennett try to use the language of freedom that everyone associates with libertarian freedom as a determinist, then it gets really, really confusing. So, you know, I mean, you know, I think there's a great video uh, where uh, Sam Harris and I think Lawrence Krauss and Matt Dillahunty are sitting on a stage somewhere talking about this. And Sam Harris points out that, like, what you're doing, what Daniel Dennett is doing in using the language of freedom when he's a determinist, uh, going under the banner of compatibilist, is it's kind of like saying, uh, it's kind of like asking, does Atlantis, does the, the city of Atlantis actually exist? And, um, and uh, the people that believe in Atlantis, that it really exists as an underwater city or whatever, you know, the, the, the way you magically think of it. Uh, they'll say, well, yeah, Atlantis exists, or at least it did exist. You know, it really, there really is an Atlantis. And uh, then there are those people that say, no, Atlantis did not exist, does not exist. And because they're all thinking of the magical, mythical city or whatever. Um, and then uh, Daniel Dennett comes along, and uh, Daniel Dennett says something like, well, no, Atlantis does exist. Yeah, you like Atlantis? Well, guess what? Good news. Atlantis does exist. But when you ask him what he means by that, he means, well, there's some reason to believe that Sicily was actually Atlantis, and you can go to Sicily today. Well, okay, you're using Atlantean language, for lack of a better term, but, Adl but, Adl but when somebody says Atlantis, they mean all of the lore that goes along with Atlantis. So when you say, yeah, that exists, but you mean something that's you know perfectly mundane— uh, you're trying to buy off on the Atlantean language to satisfy people, it seems like, when what you're really talking about is something entirely different than what everyone understands. So when you're talking about uh, freedom, when you say, oh, yeah, you, you think you're free, you're totally free. Of course you're free. And when people hear you say that, they're thinking of libertarian freedom because that's the, the thinking that most people come prepackaged with. Uh, but what you mean is determinism, but we're going to it's actually the opposite of that, but we're going to use free will language. It's like pointing to Sicily when you are talking about Atlantis. It just doesn't work. And one that people battle with even when you're faced with the determinism argument. Like you, you, if you take in the logic of determinism, like you are the product of your genetics, of your environment, of all your life experiences, of all these different things, and they are what's dictating all your choices. So even when you're making a choice, the choice you're making is based on all the data that you've taken in your entire life. So do you, in fact, have free will at that moment? 
See, now this, this Joe Rogan is getting it. Now, I don't know if he knew this already or if he's sniffing this out. He's a pretty smart guy. What he's, what he's pointing out is, you know, you've just acted as though you've got this range of options, or at least Dennett, Daniel Dennett, you're expressing Dennett as though you've got this range of options, whereas uh, an insect has, you know, a much smaller range of options. Uh, but look, all your life experiences, all the things that have happened to you, you're tr- it's really dictating this. So does any free will, any kind of free will actually exist? Rogan's getting it. Or has it all been sort of determined by all these experiences? Yeah, it's totally been determined by these experiences if determinism is true. And it's so hard to argue because everybody's life is different. Everybody's take on things are different. Everybody's experience, you could have the exact same experience as I do, but your take from it might be very different than mine. You might be a person who meditates, so you might be really into mindfulness and really into... Uh, sitting down and trying to objectively analyze all your thoughts and your reactions, you might come out with a completely different decision based on that. So is it still determinism? If all Yes, it's still determinism because what Joe Rogan is trying to uh, find as he's parsing through this is it, maybe maybe you can make certain choices to escape the determinism. Maybe maybe meditation, maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, focused breathing or something. You know, maybe you can make some choices and, and be more objective and thinking through this and find a way to escape the determinism. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that doesn't work because every choice you made along the way, the choice to engage in the meditation, the choice to focus your breathing, the choice to uh, be more thoughtful about these things, all of those choices were likewise determined. You cannot escape the determinism. And what we're seeing budding in this conversation, uh, I don't think Rogan is doing this intentionally or Shermer, but what we see budding here is the idea, and and, uh, Dennett plays on this, Dillahunty plays on this, is the idea that somehow we can bury the negative aspects of the determinism, the, the dirty truth about the determinism, like the moot morality and other things. Maybe we can bury that in the complexity of determinism with human brains. Maybe maybe it's so sophisticated. Well, I'm sorry, if you have an extremely long chain, one single chain of dominoes or an extremely, you know, five billion chains of dominoes that, that start from one chain, ultimately, uh, you know, compounding the, determinist, the, the determinism features and chains of dominoes doesn't escape the determinism. If it's determinism, it's determinism all the same. You cannot escape this dark reality, this seedy underbelly of determinism that rips the morality, rips the heart right out of humanity. Now, notice something. I'm not arguing here. I'm not arguing here. It would be terrible if determinism was true, and it would be terrible if there was moot morality. Therefore, you should believe in it. That's that's not what I'm saying. And if anyone characterizes that, that's a straw man. What I'm arguing is, I think most of you deep down already believe in libertarian freedom. Uh, I certainly know that the majority of persons believe in libertarian freedom. If you believe in libertarian freedom, I'm showing you why that leads to God, because uh, if God does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist, and you're left with determinism. So it's not an emotional appeal. It's do you actually believe that if someone decides they're going to torture horribly an innocent child just for the fun and entertainment that it would provide by the screams that it would give, if you really think that's wrong, and, and not only just wrong, but that someone who does that is reprehensible and blameworthy, then you do not believe in determinism. If you espouse determinism and you still think that's reprehensible and blameworthy, then you have a serious inconsistency in your worldview and you need to go settle that because I think the only way to consistently get through that is to accept, yeah, I know that that's wrong 
and reprehensible and blameworthy and uh, that person didn't have to do that. Okay, well, then you believe in libertarian freedom. And as I'm arguing, along with that comes God. All of a sudden, you start practicing meditation and you change your behavior. No, is that determinism? See, or is I, that I would lump that more discipline. In, I would lump that more into the category of freedom. You, yeah. you, you may become self-aware. Like I have a violent temper, and I really need to do something about this. Well, what can I do? Well, meditation. Right. Uh, okay. So then I choose to start meditating, just like the addict. I mean. We, we talk about addicts having been out of control. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, hold on a second. Wait a minute, Shermer. What is Shermer saying here? Th this is this is really good. This is really interesting stuff because Shermer is thought of as, you know, an intellectual is intellectual by a lot of people. He was the guy at Skeptic Magazine and all that. So I, I want you to notice what's the, the gaffe that's just been made, the fundamental mistake that's just been made, if I understand Shermer correctly, and I think I do, is he's just, he you know, uh, Rogan's over here getting it. He's sniffing it out. He's like, I guess the meditate, all that. I mean, is that free? I guess that'd still be determinism. And Shermer says, well, I'd lump that with free will. I'd lump that with free will. Well, hold on a second. Wait a minute. You seem to be understanding, Shermer, that we've got determinism and compatibilism is determinism. And so there's this sub-debate between Sam Harris and uh, Daniel Dennett, but that's still all determinism and they both know it. And you're over here saying, well, maybe you can escape it because I'd lump that in with, with free will. What? What? Um, uh, it cannot be because the choice to meditate was still determined. Lots of addicts actually stop. They break the addiction. They, yeah. they have. Mm -hmm. How do they do it? Well, meditation. They use you know, behave, cognitive behavior therapy. They go to these clinics and so on. They, they, but they got to drive themselves there. They got to actively do it. They're aware that they're doing that. I would lump that into the you're making kind of a free choice. You don't have to do that. You could just keep doing your addiction. Okay, now if you think I'm strawmanning Shermer by, because maybe you think, well, Shermer's espousing compatibilism properly like Daniel Dennett would. Um, it, because you, 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 uh, you still have only one thing you're determined to do, but you feel like you're making free choices. You feel like you could do otherwise. So we're going to lump that in with free will. No, 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 no. Notice what he just said. Replay the video if you need to. He said, when you drive yourself to go get help or whatever it is, you didn't have, you didn't have to do that. You could have done something else. What? If you didn't have to do it, if you could have done something else, that, my friend, is libertarian freedom. That is not compatibilism. That is not determinism. If you really could have done otherwise, that's libertarian freedom. So this thing's just been taught, tied all up into knots. Does Michael Shermer now affirm libertarian freedom? If so, is he agnostic on the subject? If he affirms libertarian freedom, then uh, guess what? You can have the morality and you should believe in God because the reason that you're uh, that your paper that you brought up about all these philosophers, uh, it's like you set a trap for yourself. Yeah, you know why the majority of philosophers reject libertarian free will and embrace determinism? Um, if, if atheistic naturalism is true, then, then, then that's going to be very hospitable to that. But if I was a determinism per proponent, I would... Okay, watch here. Rogan's, remember, Rogan's good at this. He's sniffing it out. He's sniffing out the bull that's going on here. Uh, listen to what he says say, well, no, because your decision to make that choice is based right. on all of your experiences, your genetics, your your family, your background, yep. all of your input that you've gotten Preach from it. other people about your behavior, and you've decided to make a choice based on that data. 
correct. That 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 would be the counter argument. Which is very daunting. <laughs> yes. So it's it's like that. I think also with consciousness. You know? Okay. So now they move on to something else, and we could do a whole other video on consciousness, and maybe I will at some point add to this and make it a series. But I want you to notice here, Rogan sniffs it out. So Shermer has just said, "Well, hey, you're making a free choice. You could have done something else, right?" And Rogan says, well, "Hold on a second, man. Wait a minute. If I was determined, if I'm being the determinist here, I'm saying no. Even your choice." there was determined by past experience and everything else. And notice what Shermer says. Yeah, that's the counter argument. Let's move on and talk about consciousness. I mean, a careful eye can pick up, or I guess a careful ear can pick up on this, but I'm not sure exactly where Shermer wants to land or if he's intentionally being ambiguous and whatever's going on there. But when you don't know what to say to, to an objection someone raises, you know what you say? Yeah, that's the counter argument and move on. If, if you knew what to say, you'd say what you knew what to say, but he doesn't know what to say. So sure, that's the counter argument and move on. Um, so I don't know, maybe in this three hour video, he thought he was running out of time at the 17 and a half minute mark. Uh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Shermer, if you ever see this, uh, Michael Shermer, I'm sorry if I got you wrongly there, but so it looks like to me. So at this point, we're going to stop talking about the free will discussion. I, I hope that's been enough to, I could go on and, and argue that uh, if determinism is true, as I've done elsewhere, then uh, rationality and real knowledge is impossible, justified knowledge, because if determinism is true, it's not just your actions that are determined, but also your thoughts and beliefs are likewise determined. So if your thoughts and beliefs are likewise determined, then rationality, which is a process by which a person reasons through things and arrives at a conclusion, he makes choices about what he should accept and, and should not accept, and then arrives at a conclusion, uh, that dissolves because every step of your thinking process was determined just like a chain of dominoes, just as your actions are determined. So that means that you cannot be justified in concluding whatever you end up believing, uh, whatever you claim to know, you could not have believed otherwise. So Michael Shermer believes what he does, like that he's on the Joe Rogan experience at that moment when that's being recorded. Uh, and the person who believes that he happens to be a pink unicorn dancing on the rings of Saturn, he believes what he believes on the basis of determinism and could not have believed otherwise. In both cases, the person believes what they believe because they had to believe it. There was no rational process. Rationality is the process by which we choose among things what we should believe and what we shouldn't, what we should affirming what we shouldn't. If you don't have free will, if you don't have choice, then rationality is illusory. And at the very least, you don't have, you can't, you're not justified in affirming what you believe. You can affirm things, but you can't rationally affirm them. And that means you can't claim to know anything. So what I would encourage uh, Michael Shermer and uh, perhaps Joe Rogan, depending on where they land on these things, to go home and think through how they can have rationality on determinism and figure that out because then at least they can know something. But here's the thing. This means that, think about it this way. Um, what if you found out, this, this comes to me from, uh, this is an analogy I, I got from my friend uh, 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 Tim Stratton, sorry, at Free Thinking Ministries. He says, imagine that you have a, that you find out that a mad scientist is controlling your every thought, your, your every, everything you're thinking, everything you're concluding, including the next things that are going to come out of your mouth and the thoughts that you're having right now. If that were true, do you now have any good reason to trust anything that you're thinking or anything that you believe or conclude? Absolutely not, because you don't know the motivations of this mad scientist. 
Well, that's what's going on with determinism, except there's not even a mad scientist. It's just the random, it's just the chaos of the universe, just everything by chance going the way it does leads to your thinking what you think and concluding what you conclude. So if you couldn't conclude safely and be justified in concluding the things that you would on the basis of a mad scientist prompting your brain to think what you think, you can't do it on determinism, naturalistic determinism either. And that's very, very important. In my debate with Matt Dillahunty, he says, well, now hold on a second. A calculator isn't going through a rational process, but it can still get the right answer. It can get the right answer. And you can actually get the right answer um, even if determinism is true and even if you have no uh, justification for concluding the right answer. The, the thing is, you can affirm things and those things might happen to be right. The thing is, you can't rationally affirm them. Uh, you just happen to find yourself believing whatever you believe. And though you feel like you're making choices to arrive at that solution, you, you didn't really. It was all illusory. So you can't justifiably claim to know anything and you can't justify it. You don't have no justifiable claim to, you can't rationally affirm things, okay? Because you're not justified in uh, trusting that. Okay, so we're gonna move on from that now. So with free will, I just wanna recap. Um, it, you, you have moot morality. And you have to say about racial haters and people that do hate crimes against uh, homosexuals and uh, women and all those kind of things, they couldn't help it, bless their hearts. They couldn't help it. It wasn't really their fault. They're not blameworthy. Um, you also have to give up any real uh, rationality or, or you can't rationally affirm anything at all. And so uh, here's what that means. That means if you think that libertarian freedom uh, if, if you are successful in overcoming my arguments, then you'll find that um, determinism is true and you can't rationally know anything. But if you end up affirming what I'm saying uh, as an atheist and coming to believe that libertarian freedom does exist, well, then you should believe in God. So heads I win, tails you lose. Uh, you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. All right, so let's move off of free will now and let's go on to this next issue that I want to cover in, later in their discussion when they begin talking about the Bible. Let's hear what they have to say. Let me make sure I've got it on normal speed. All right, here we go. You do not know. And when it comes to religion, the idea of some sort of a powerful being that's in charge of the whole picture and it's got a grand plan for it all, is uh, it's kind of comforting to some people and it's, and it's an interesting possibility. And again, it's something to consider. It's something to think about. It's now we're gonna move forward, but I wanna say something about this. He didn't make this argument, but it comes up a lot. Well, uh, you know, he said it's, it's comforting for some people. Okay, now he's not attacking it here. So I wanna be fair to Joe Rogan, but a lot of people will. They'll say, you just believe that because it's wish fulfillment. You hope that it will be true. You're uncomfortable with the idea of death. So you wanna believe that there's gonna be some afterlife and all that sort of thing. No, that's not why we believe, but uh, I would point out that wish fulfillment uh, is a poor argument against uh, the truth of Christianity. And here's why. Because uh, if, if it were the case that every time someone was running on wish fulfillment, they were wrong, okay, well, then, then yeah. If every t but, but there are a lot of things that people wish will happen that actually do happen. Young girls and young boys, some of them dream of the wedding day. And guess what? The wedding day comes. Some people dream they'll marry someone who's rich. And guess what? That's, wish, that's wishing for it. But guess what? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes people wish that they will become very, very wealthy, very, very powerful, become rock stars, become movie stars. And for some people, though very few, it happens. Um, so, so just saying, well, you just, that's just, you just believe that because it's comfortable 
comforting or you hope that it's true is a poor argument against it. Um, yeah, I do hope Christianity is true. I also believe that it's true uh, on good reason. I sure do hope that when I open the door to my office for a few moments and step outside to get more coffee, that the floor doesn't cave in and I fall uh, to my death. I sure hope that doesn't happen. I wish that that doesn't happen. But guess what? I actually don't think there's any good reason to believe that will happen. Uh, likewise, I believe that... Um, Christianity is true. I also am glad that it's going to be true. I actually, it is true. I wish for it to be true, and it happens to be true. Now, he didn't make the argument, but uh, it, yeah, if someone only believes something because they hope that it's the case or wish that it were the case, if that's all they've got, well, yeah, they haven't given you any uh, good external reason to believe that it's true. But just pointing out that it's comforting to some people as some kind of a mark against it is really poor reasoning. Now, again, I don't pin that on Joe Rogan because he did say something that everything he said here is true. He just said it is comforting to some people and you know hey it's an interesting thought well both those things are true it is comforting to some people and it is an interesting thought so i'm not pinning it on him but just worth mentioning it's an idea that's been around for a long time why has it been around for so long i don't know well let's go over some of the other things that have been around for a long time let's <laughs> look at what else is in that book let's do it is there any other shit in that book that you might think <sighs> is ridiculous i mean but if you're talking to someone who's a religious person who believes in the bible and you throw that around one of the first things that goes well, oh that's the old testament right well okay so the old testament is not valid right the new testament the one that was written by what okay hold on i really want you to hear what he's about to say because it's really important so i may have to run it back here but but uh, you know uh, the kind of person that he's targeting here which is a you know someone who takes the bible seriously and takes the bible to be giving you you know the the word of god you know here uh, then they're not going to say the old testament is not valid the where he gets that and there are some people who say that so you know he's probably encountered people who do say that but what what this kind of christian is going to say is no 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 when you point to certain old testament laws in the old testament law code that are not binding under the new covenant in the new testament yeah, those th don't expect me to be bound by those things. But that doesn't mean that we reject the Old Testament. It's still valid, depending on what one means by that. Okay. So, uh, but but I want you to hear what he's about to say here. Now, let's see. I mean, okay, listen but close. If you're talking to someone who's a religious person who believes in the Bible here and comes. you throw that around, one of the first things that goes, well, oh, that's the Old Testament. Right. Well, okay. So the Old Testament is not valid. Right. The New Testament, the one that was written by Constantine and a group of bishops, what? where they got <laughs> right. down and they, th they wrote it out, what, 500 years after Jesus died? That well, one's what? legit? <laughs> right, I see That point. one's right. legit. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let, let's, let's be fair here. Joe Rogan doesn't purport to be a Bible scholar, okay? I think if he was sitting here in front of me, he would probably would say, yeah, I'm going to get some stuff wrong here. I'm not trying to be a Bible scholar or anything. But it's, it's things like this where people have – you know what I think he's a good example of? He's a good example of a lot of Internet atheists and YouTube atheists. It's just that he's extremely popular, okay? And, and he doesn't make it his whole thing to go around talking about atheism. It comes up occasionally. I don't even know that for sure that he's an atheist, okay? But I'm just saying. So, so now, now notice, notice, notice what he said here. He said the New Testament was written by Constantine and a bunch of bishops. This is just false. This is simply false. And he says 500 years after the fact. I, I'm blown away. Constantine lived from 274 to 337 not 500 years after Jesus. And uh, the, where he gets this is the, the, probably the Council of Nicaea. Um, Constantine uh, 
had a hand in these things because uh, this was in 325. This was when Arianism was a problem. And sure, Constantine was, and there's debate about whether Constantine was really in a meaningful sense, a Christian. But the, the, the idea is that the empire was, you know, if there was a big schism in, in Christianity at large over this Arianism issue, that could cause major problems for the empire. And so for that reason, yeah, Constantine has a, a very serious interest. But that's what largely the Council of Nicaea was dealing with. But the, when we finally had a kind of, you know, more formed and agreeable canon that was that was acceptable to everyone. That was in Carthage in 397, some 60 years after the death of Constantine. So what we have here is just false. Besides which, there were a number of Christian documents that are in our Bible that were already agreed upon and in use by Christians for a long time before Constantine ever came on the scene. There are some uh, some. Uh, some books out there that uh, were left out because either we know we can tell that the person claiming authorship is lying about uh, about who they are, or, or there's just some obvious textual problems that tell us that this this doesn't belong in the canon. So this is not some great mystery. This is not some big conspiracy. Uh, Joe Rogan is often knocking down conspiracy theories. Well, uh, I, I don't think Joe Rogan has given a lot of study of this, or else he wouldn't have said 500 years after, and he wouldn't have said Constantine and some bishops wrote the New Testament. I'm sorry, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. But uh, I would encourage him to study this a little more and then point out that conspiracy theory because that is what it is. Now, some conspiracies are true, but not this one. Let's keep going. Well, that's a more ridiculous one ever because Constantine wasn't even, he wasn't even Christian. Well, yeah. Well, so, I mean, the Gospels appear to be written 30 to 60, the first one, 30 to 60 years after Jesus died, book of Mark. The others were copied from Mark, obviously. John is really... Okay, the others were copied from Mark, obviously. So Mark comes first. We'll give him uh, the time frame that he gives for Mark. Uh, then he says, uh, the others were copied... The others were copied from Mark? Okay, he's not He's not entirely wrong. There is shared material uh, from Mark in Matthew and in Luke. However... He's completely ignoring. First of all, he's not correcting. <laughs> Shermer knows better, and he's probably just being a nice guest, but this is kind of important to your own reputation, Shermer. When somebody says something like that 500 years after Jesus and uh, Constantine wrote the New Testament, if you don't like directly call that out, that's, that's not looking good. That's looking bad. But then secondly, you know better, Shermer, than to say Matthew and Luke were just copy. Well, he said the others. So Matthew, Mark, or Matthew, Luke, and John are just copying from Mark. Okay, there is shared material, but there is also material that Matthew has from other sources. There's also material Luke has from other sources. And there's material that Matthew and Luke share that are not Mark. So come on, man. Really weird. And, uh, you know, no one knew him. These weren't, you know, the gospel authors didn't know. They weren't his disciples. They didn't know him. So this is secondhand. Th well, now, you're stating that like you know something. Now, earlier in this video, I didn't play it, but Shermer's talking about the null hypothesis. And you've got, you're, you're to assume, you know, it's, how can you be so certain? Why don't you just say about this, Shermer? Well, we don't know. I don't know. You're actually stating a hypothesis. They did not know Jesus. That's not where the majority of scholars is on this, at least a slight majority. Uh, I go over that in the uh, the Bart Ehrman video response that I did, so I'll link that. But uh, no, uh, a slight majority uh, think that Mark was written by someone who's giving the testimony of Peter. 
um, which did know Jesus, was an eyewitness. Uh, uh, Luke is probably written by someone who was a traveling companion to Paul and had access to some of the uh, disciples, the women disciples perhaps of Jesus. Um, and John was written by either a lesser-known disciple of Jesus or someone giving you the testimony of a lesser-known disciple of Jesus. And among the people that think that it was a lesser-known disciple of Jesus, a constituent say that it's John, son of Zebedee. So this, this again, Matthew, Matthew, the, the majority of scholars do not believe that Matthew wrote Matthew. However, uh, Papias says that Matthew wrote something that is arguably Matthew. And uh, so one of the reasons people don't think that this was written by people that knew Jesus is because of the uh, style of writing and, and the language of the writing and the complexity of all that and sort of thing. People used writers and amanuenses in those days and all those sorts of things. So uh, Shermer really needs to be a little more clear here. Even if this is a casual discussion, this is a guy that debates people like us. And it's, it's not good. It's not good for you not to call out absurd things, even if you're a guest on a show like this and much more to, uh, you know, kind of sloppily mention the evidence here. Okay, so we're going to stop it there, but um, I just want to say, I, I just hope that you recognize here that we've got some major problems, uh, first of all, with our understanding of what the Bible is, where it comes from, authorship, all those kind of things, and the free will issue is a train wreck. So uh, I wanted to go over this. I thought it would be helpful. I hope that it was for you. Uh, they largely talked about other things that didn't have anything to do with God or religion or Christianity, at least not directly. I'm going to do more on uh, Shermer at another time and just him specifically. But Joe Rogan is a very well-known guy out there who has made an impact, and he has influenced people. Um in ways that are not hospitable to Christianity. And so it was worth our time to uh, talk about him. Also, my friend Cameron Bertuzzi at Capturing Christianity did an episode on Joe Rogan. I'll link it in the description. And listen, if you're out there and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. Uh, you can know that God exists by having a personal experience with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I agree with William Lane Craig that apologetics is how we show that Christianity is true, but it's through the work of God in your own life, through the Holy Spirit, that you can know that Christianity is true. And so uh, how do you do that? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible elsewhere teaches that you should repent. Repent means to turn. Turn from your life without Jesus to a life with Jesus. Turn from your sin to a life with Jesus who uh, died as a sacrifice for your sin. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a sinner. Listen, the Bible says nothing about good people going to heaven and bad people going to hell from a human perspective. The message is that you may be the most morally and ethically uh, uh, wonderful person on planet earth at this very moment, but we are all sinners. We have all done things that uh, dishonor God and are offenses toward God. And because God is a God of justice, he must punish sin. If he doesn't, then he's not as good of a God because a max good God will bring justice. And so for that reason, um, justice had to be done. But thank goodness, a sacrifice came in the form of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to take your place and my place so that God could uh, be uh, perfectly just and perfectly loving. He did that for you. He did that for me. If you'd like to know him today, I think it's appropriate to, uh, to just tell the Lord in prayer that you know you're a sinner, that you believe that Jesus died for you, that you're ready to commit your life to him, that you're turning from your life without him to a life with him, and uh, that you want to live for him. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes going forward, but it does mean that you're going to commit your life to serving him and being a disciple of his. 
Um, so if you do that, let me know. Contact me um, somehow on social media, and I'd love to hear about it. I'll leave a comment that, to that effect in uh, perhaps the comments for this video. And uh, perhaps you are excited about this sort of a ministry and you want to help it. I want to make a video for every type of YouTube atheist and skeptic out there, um, and I need your help to do that. So if you're out there, not the people that I was just talking to perhaps, but you're a Christian out there watching this, and you'd say, I want to support what you're doing. Well, you can visit us at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio, patreon.com slash Trinity Radio, or clicking in the upper right-hand corner of this video. It'll take you there, and you can pledge to help us with that. And I believe that it'll be a blessing to you, and it'll further the work of the kingdom. Um, Joe Rogan and Michael Shermer, I'd love for you to come to know Christ. I'd love to talk with you personally if that's ever possible. And to the rest of you, I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Oh, and by the way, when it comes to uh, Joe Rogan and Michael Shermer's comments on the Bible and on free will, I am hashtag unimpressed. Are you hashtag unimpressed? Well, let us know on Twitter and in the comments. Thanks.